Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I saw with a packed audience in Toronto and Canada. It was the first time I, I realized that the audience could participate in a movie, that the audience could respond to a movie. So when the train crash happened, the audience was so stunned by it because, you know, this is 1993 and CG really hadn't been invented yet and it blew people's minds that the audience broke into spontaneous applause. And I remember going, you can do that? <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, and it's just, I'll get into the reasons why I love it later on, but it's just an absolutely terrific, whip-smart thriller. And uh, revisiting it for this was an absolute pleasure. Hello, film fans. Returning to Flix Watcher, we have Chris. Hello. <laughs> James. Good evening. And as always, Kobe. Good evening. And we'll be reviewing The Fugitive. Thank you, as always, to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello and welcome to this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast. Recording remotely today with us are Chris and James. If you would like to say hello and tell the listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do, please. <laughs> who is your daddy and what does he do? Uh, I am Chris Hewitt. I am a film journalist and I'm putting that in inverted uh, air quotes, inverted commas, whatever they are. I'm a journalist and I don't know what they are. Um, and I host the Empire podcast, which you can get in your ears every week. Uh, I am James Dyer. I'm also a quote unquote film journalist. Uh, you can hear me every week being abused by Chris on the Empire podcast and also on the Pilot TV podcast. Now, you guys come up for, was it eight years now, the, the Empire podcast? Yeah, mm. yeah, we just we just passed our eighth anniversary. We started in 2012. Yeah. Here we are in 2020, and uh, hopefully we'll have another year in this. <laughs> and when I say us, I mean of course the human race. I don't just yeah. mean the Empire Podcast. Yeah, Helen did allude to the fact we are recording remotely because of uh, COVID 19, uh, the coronavirus. I don't know. Maybe when this comes out, we'll all be in a in a pub somewhere and be able to like actually allowed to touch someone and social distancing will be over no one knows um 
we come it's a nice thought Mm. <laughs> it's a lovely, lovely, optimistic, dare I said, even naive thought there, Kobe, but it is, it is so great. And, and uh, thankfully, COVID is not a guest. You don't know when this is going to go out, do we? This could be released in like three years' time. Yeah, um, after the human race has ceased to be. Yeah, <laughs> this could be posthumous for at least one of us. So. <laughs> oh, dear. I can, always uh, bring, I can always get a party started. <laughs> Well, good. I'm, I'm glad you yourself and I presume your wife are in self-isolation and not been able to impart this kind of emotion on other people on a daily basis <laughs> in the Empire office. No, absolutely. Are you, are, yeah. are you missing him, uh, James, on a daily basis? Not even remotely. <laughs> I, I can't miss him. I've literally, I've had him in my face every single day since we've been off. We've been, uh, we've either been recording a podcast or having sort of virtual video chat meetings or doing mm. what we did today, which we had lunch together virtually, which was in no way weird. <laughs> my friends and I were supposed to get together to have a, a, a pub session, a remote Zoom <laughs> pub session, which I find a bit odd. It is. It sounds odd. I'll do it. And yeah. I don't know how it's going to play out, but has anyone else tried this before? Uh, no, I'm doing it this weekend. Uh, by the time you've heard this, I will have done it many weekends ago, uh, hmm. back when I was alive. And <laughs> I'm doing it with some friends. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it because we were meant to meet up in Manchester next month and now we can't. And one of us was even meant to come across from Japan to do it. And so now we're, we're all just meeting up uh, virtually. But also we at Empire, we tend to, we now and again, we do a poker night as well. And plans mm-hmm. for that have been utterly kiboshed by the killer virus. So we may resurrect that in the virtual realm. Who knows? How can you ensure there's no cheating happening? Uh, you log on to a poker website and you have a virtual table and everyone plays, everyone logs in, plays a virtual table, but you also have webcams on each other, each other so you know that there's no shenanigans. Okay, all right. I mean, as with any kind of meeting like this, you do need to prepare yourself for a good sort of 10, 15 minutes of one person not being able to log in mm-hmm. or work out where the sound is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or it's... have making their dinner still or something. So just just be prepared. But- it is so weird because I was thinking about this today and I realised, you know, we'll talk about the fugitive in, in, in due course, of course. But, <laughs> Please, uh, we will be. I was thinking about this today because, you know, it's going to be about eight of us online for this kind of university reunion thing we're going to be doing later on this week. And it's going to be so unnatural and weird because any time that you go to a pub with some friends, you naturally kind of break off into little miniature pockets, yeah. don't you? you? You find, you know, it's like, oh, there's eight of us initially, but then... I'll end up talking to those two guys over there or people will just avoid me uh, generally. Hmm. But but this time you've got to all be keeping tabs of each other and it's going to feel really weird. It's going to be like recording a massive podcast. Uh, luckily, I'm the right person for this job. I bet it was your idea, wasn't it? It was my idea. <laughs> well, as you stated before, we're going to be talking about The Fugitive, which, Chris, was your idea, uh, mm-hmm. your choice off of it Netflix. Was. Um, can you tell us what happens um, in a minute or less? And also, just to remind me, because I haven't seen it. And um, explain why you chose it for us to discuss today. Okay, yeah, so I chose The Fugitive, made in 1993, uh, directed by Andrew Davis, starring Harrison Ford and Tommy Lee Jones, and Oscar-winning Tommy Lee Jones, of course. And the uh, basic synopsis, because I wouldn't want to ruin it for anybody, uh, after he is falsely convicted of murdering his wife... Dr. Richard Kimball, played by Harrison Ford in a big old beard, is sentenced to death. Uh Uh-oh. But 
after a very expensive-looking bus and train crash, he escapes and goes on the run, desperate to prove his innocence and the existence of the one-armed man who he claims did the evil deed. But the indefatigable U.S. Deputy Marshal Samuel Gerard is hot on his heels. And he wants a hard target search of every gas station, residence, <laughs> warehouse, farmhouse, hen house, crowded house, outhouse, and doghouse in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Our fugitive's name is Dr. Richard Kimball. Go get him. That's basically if Jeremy Clarkson played that role, that's what it would have sounded like. Are you going for host of Top Gear now that, uh, well, obviously he left a few years ago under <laughs> yeah. less, than, less than Curtis terms. Um, uh, Yes, I am. I am. I, I, I can barely drive and I don't know anything about cars, but that doesn't seem to be disqualified <laughs> recent presenters either. So <laughs> so why did you choose it for us, uh, Chris? Uh, this is one of my favourite films. I adore this movie. I think it's tremendous. It was nominated for Best Picture, which is strangely uh, it's almost strangely anomalous in a weird way. It's the sort of movie that doesn't really get nominated for Oscars these days, let alone back in the day when you had to be a big prestige Oscar-type movie to get nominated. Here was a summer blockbuster, late summer blockbuster uh, nonetheless, but mm. a summer blockbuster indeed, uh, that, that crowbarred its way into the Oscar conversation. Um, it's a tremendous thriller. It's uh, an adaptation, of course, of the 1960s TV show. And uh, I went in with fairly low expectations. I saw this in Canada in 1993 when I was uh, on a very, very long holiday uh, mm. before getting my GCSE results. And I went to see this with my friend who was, who was with me. And uh, I just remember watching the train crash. So there's a, there's a big train crash sequence, which is the film's calling card in many ways. And uh, I saw the packed audience in Toronto and Canada. And it was the first time being British and being from Northern Ireland and having seen movies all my life. It was the first time I, I realized that the audience could participate in a movie, that the audience could respond to a movie. So when the train crash happened, the audience was so stunned by it because, you know, this is 1993 and CG really hadn't been invented yet. And it blew people's minds that the audience broke into spontaneous applause. And I remember going, you can do that? <laughs> this is incredible. Uh, and it's just, I'll get into the reasons why I love it later on, but it's just an absolutely terrific, whip-smart thriller. And uh, revisiting it for this was an absolute pleasure. Well, let me just focus on a train crash a bit, because I, every single kind of new spot I saw about it featured that train crash in a way that would be super spoilerific in today's kind of parlance. But every yeah. single... I'd seen it like 15 times by the time. And also the bit where he jumps off the off the dam. I'd seen that before going into the cinema. So I was a bit jaded almost by the first time I'd actually watched it in the cinema. I don't know about your guys, uh, James and Helen, your your um, experiences of watching it the first time. But they just seemed to be spoil everything back then. I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't see this at the cinema. I remember seeing this. Um, it would have been around the time that we got sky tv at home so we would have had it on there and basically became one of those films that i pretty much watched every time it was on that i loved it that much it became one of those i think it was this and the robert redford film sneakers which just were on repeat for years and years for me and like those the the stunt with the train and the the dive from the reservoir dam are pretty good but there's so many other things that happen in that outside of those things that I think there's, there's, there's so much more going on from that. Um, I mean, the, the stunt itself 
I believe they they just had the one take with that. Which stunt, sorry? The train The train order, sure. Um, It's a good job they got it right, because you kind of imagine (laughs) what might have happened had they not got it right. Yeah, it's one of the great one-take stunts. Uh, Basically, it was so expensive. Uh, There are, I believe, some miniatures at a certain point but uh, mm. for the by, by and large it's and obviously when Harrison Ford jumps off the bus there's back projection going on there uh, yeah. which doesn't entirely hold up but they really did take two trains and they really did crash them into each other and uh, and it's just a tremendous tremendous stunt and the interesting thing about it is that it doesn't matter that it's given away in the trailer it doesn't matter that the damn jump is given away in the trailer because the film isn't predicated on those things it's it's uh, they're in the first half hour. Both those stunts are in the first half hour. And after that, it settles into its own interesting rhythm. And because you've had the big stuff spoiled, you don't know where it's going to go. And that's really mm. interesting. I think when I was 13, like, I saw this when I was 13. And at that time, it was like, I want big guns and big stunts. And <laughs> Harrison Ford being in it, for me, was like, oh, this is going to be great. Um, so to have that kind of ruined for me, it was a bit of a, a downer. But on this is the second time I've seen it. So... Um, on rewatch, it was like, okay, those happened way earlier than I remember, but the rest of the film is still, it's still got like an hour and a half left of the film. So where is this going to go? I really couldn't remember <laughs> how it was going to pan out. And I think that's a really, really cool thing. Uh, James, what, how many times have you seen this? God knows. Uh, I don't remember where I first saw it, but I've watched it many times since then. I love this film. It's great. Um, I, my most enduring memory of kind of first watching this is Tommy Lee Jones. I don't recall when I first saw it if I knew who Tommy Lee Jones was prior to mm. this. I mean, maybe no one really knew a great deal about him before this but i remember him coming on the screen and being absolutely magnetic like his charisma just radiates which is ironic given what a grumpy fucker he is in real life but he's um do you know what i mean like he, he comes on he just owns that scene where he sits down and he faces down the sheriff and he's like the sheriff cuts him off he's like okay sure and then he waits for the sheriff to kind of burn it and then just takes over and just he just he throws curveball after curveball that bit in the tunnel where mm. where he's like I didn't kill my wife he's like I don't care and you're just like whoa you know he's he's <laughs> he, he doesn't say what you expect he doesn't deliver it the way you expect it and I think he's really likable but also really edgy like there's that bit and it always sticks with me the bit where uh, they've kind of run into each other at the kind of prison where where he's he's realised where he's going to go and he sees him and he chases him and Harrison Ford runs through the the, the glass doors and they close on his foot and Tommy Lee fucking shoots like five bullets at him like he's an unarmed man who may or may not be innocent at that point they're kind of got to be thinking he might be innocent because they've realized he's trying to piece together a puzzle and obviously a guilty yeah. man wouldn't be doing that and yet he still tries to blow his head off like he's i mean he doesn't fuck about he does not fuck about yeah this is Tommy Lee Jones, I, like i say i don't think i knew who he was i know the tv spots were lauding him so i, I can't remember i don't know what his filmography was before that but it was this and then Men in Black was basically mm. oh, like, Tommy Lee Jones is a legit actor, um, but he's a mate. He is amazing, but also there's there's kind of a random kind of cast that I wasn't aware of at the time, like Julianne Moore, um, Jane, jo- Jane Lynch, looking about Jane Lynch. fifteen, yeah, uh, Joey Pants. Who has a, <laughs> yes. Joey Pants has a really prominent. Uh, he's, he's in it a lot. Of, a lot of the film. Yeah, um, it's it's a strange film in that uh, Sailor Ward, who plays Helen Kimball. Is third build Julianne Moore, who is in, and I'm not making this up, three scenes. I counted them last night, and they last about two minutes total in, in terms of screen time. Is fourth build, and this was before she was Julianne Moore. She was she, she was on the cusp. I think it was the same year as Assassins, which was her first big 
blockbustery type yeah. thing. Uh, and they, she gets third bill and fourth billing, and yet Tommy Lee Jones' entourage, which includes Joey Pants, who had been a big part of uh, some really great run. movies up to that point already, uh, is is further down the pecking order in terms of the cast. It's an interesting one in terms of the billing, but it's really about these two guys. It's really about these two guys going head-to-head, Richard Kimball and Samuel Gerard. And uh, it's one of the things I love about this movie. I love that it's about two guys who have not very much to go on except their smarts. Mm. Uh, obviously, Gerard has lots of technology and a team backing him up, but also he's really, really intelligent and he knows he knows exactly what his quarry is going to do at any given time, except for Richard Kimball. He can't quite get a beat in this guy because he does things that are out of the ordinary. And he's uh, and Kimball is a man driven by his intelligence, but also driven by this remorseless need to catch the guy who killed his wife. And it's about smart people figuring out problems. It's a procedural in many, many ways. I love stuff like that. I love the early scenes, for example, when Kimball has just... Uh, escaped and he goes into the hospital and he's trying to figure out and he disguises himself as a doctor and he goes into the guy's room and he steals his food which is unethical first do no harm Richard you're a doctor uh, and shaves off his beard and then you know little things like that where he just figures out bit by bit play by play how to get a fake ID how to get a yeah. you know how to get a, 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 a different uh, room in Chicago smart guy using his smarts and I love that stuff Mm. Also worth noting that Neil Flynn, the janitor from Scrubs, is the uh, yeah. the transport cop in this who gets killed. But I love the fact that in an episode of Scrubs, he references the fact he that he's in The yeah. Fugitive, which is genius. Was yes. it like a, a, a random dream that Jack Braff has? It's like, you were, you were in He watches it on TV. Fugitive. He yeah. watches right. this fugitive and then he goes in <laughs> like, and throughout what? the whole episode he's trying to convince the janitor he was in The Fugitive, which he flatly denies until the end. <laughs> and basically he does kind of like the janitor move from it but that's not the only place because even if you haven't seen the fugitive then you've probably seen the fugitive in pop culture so you've probably seen the simpsons episode or you've probably seen Mm -hmm. the janitor one so it's kind of ingrained itself so far into so many things that it's it's just a, a sort of a testament of what a great film it is and you know you've in your intro, Chris, you picked out some of the great lines, but there's the whole conversation they have about the the hinky, you know, what's the hinky? And they're talking about people's shoes as an ongoing thing about um, not having the right shoes. And when they end up in the sewers, he complains because he's got the wrong shoes. So there's, there's just so much going on. And mm. it's such a great, sharp script that everyone gets some good lines. Yeah, we had a, a bit of banter on Twitter, um, which we'll come to later. We're not going to talk, refer to this, but people are saying that the original scripts were shocking, um, mm. which is kind of hard. And it seems like there's a fair bit of improv in this. I'm not sure how much that Maybe yeah. you guys can elaborate. Yeah, I think uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I read the original David Toohey script for this, um, which is online. And someone on Twitter had said that there was another draft knocking around that in which Gerard uh, turned out to be the bad guy. Now, I mm. can't see how that possibly would work. Um, and I couldn't find that draft. But I did read the David Toohey script, which is completely different. Completely different. Uh, you know, Climax is in a different place, has a different bad guy. There's a, there's a woman who comes into Kimball's life. It, and it's quite frankly terrible as well. Um, so they did a good thing, I think, in, in bringing on Jeb Stewart, who, of course, co-wrote Die Hard, Jimbo. Yes, indeed. Um, and uh, and to retool the script. And it's interesting that you, you say it's got so many quotable lines. Yes, it does. Virtually none of them are from Harrison Ford. 
Hmm. Apart from a line I quote all the time, <laughs> yes, and James do. can verify this, I quote, when I came home, there was a man in my house. I fought with this man. He had a mechanical, and it's the way he pauses and then, and then kind of tries to find the words. He had a mechanical arm. <laughs> You find that man. You find that man. With that typical Harrison Ford finger of doom point uh, that I love. Um, I love that. But you also get a sense that he took this role on because it was atypical for him. Because it yeah. was, it's not Han Solo. It's not, Har- it's, not, it's not Harrison Ford. He's not playing himself. It's not Indiana Jones. It's not even Rick Deckard. It's not even Jack Ryan. It's, it's something very unusual, very, very different for him. Um, which which I which I really like. It was a man of very very few words, and he expresses almost everything through his his eyes and his body language. Mm. Yeah, he plays it. He plays it great, and uh, right from the start, you feel for him. And no, um, obviously, we see in flashback that he did fight with a one armed man, but the way he he you know he escapes, where he goes straight back to Chicago, you know, all those kind yeah. of traits he plays, you know that he's hurting, and he's just his main reason d'etre is to find this guy. Mm. Not necessarily to um, absolve himself, but just to get some kind of recompense for his wife's death, and yeah. that's that's wholly what's driving him. And it's it's interesting the risks he takes and the um, and also the steps he takes, like to say, oh, that guy's got he's got a puncture above the third above the third rib. He doesn't yeah. have to do that in any way, shape, or form. He can just kind of hide himself away, but at the same time, he's still got he still has his Hippocratic Hippocratic oath, even though he takes the guy's food. But he still saves the guy who's got a lumbar puncture. I don't think that guy um, was going to eat the food. I think it's fine. We can absolve him. Yeah. It looked like terrible food. He probably didn't make over. <laughs> the, the nurse comes in and she goes, oh, you've been a thirsty boy. And he's yeah. clearly unable to reach the, <laughs> the, uh, the, the jug. It's absolute chemist, that guy, isn't he? Yeah. But... <laughs> Yeah, I have to. I have to say, I love that stuff, and I, I actually think, weirdly enough, I mean, I love this film, but I think that the flashbacks to the the one armed man fight and the the various dream sequences he has, where he imagines his wife, are kind of a bit clumsy, mm. and they feel like missteps in a way. And I, I do wonder if the film would have worked better um, if we'd been just plunged into his investigation and not really known if there was a one-armed mm. man and then gradually we begin to learn it as he begins to uh, to dig a little bit deeper. The devices uh, are very dated as well. Like, there's bits where he's remembering things and like, so the voice in his memory has this awful echo on it as well, which is feel it's very much a product of its time. It's like, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, a, a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I, I felt that as well. Uh, I also wonder, watching the, watching the movie, I was going, They've really they've convicted him. I mean, they, the evidence is circumstantial at yeah. best. Yeah, you know they they convict him. They sentence him to death based on a phone call yeah. that any decent lawyer would be able to pull apart in five minutes. Um, and I do wonder, especially with DNA profiling being where it is these days, it would be a short film. It would be basically when I came home, there was a man at my house. Uh, he was a one-armed man, and then they go, "Well, we've done some DNA testing, and there was someone else there, and we figured <laughs> yeah. out that he actually did." Yeah, so we we found him very very quickly. So the movie's <laughs> over. Thanks a lot, Richard. Uh, <laughs> it feels yeah. a little bit like that to me. For sure, there's lots and lots of foreign DNA there. If there's blood spilt, there's lots and lots of foreign DNA all over the place, which the CSI would identify within within microseconds with a with a black light precisely uh, uh, but it's a product of its time in that way i guess as well isn't it because you know there would be so it would be so much easier to track him by a cctv and all these kind of things so i think it, yeah. it is one of those films that it, it, it could only really happen have happened at latest 1993 which is <laughs> great because that's when it was set <laughs> and i love the way they were, they were like trying to recall his phone call at the um, elevator train but playing yes. that back again i heard a bell if it wasn't modern day's time, there would no 
pretty much within seconds where he's calling from um, and be mm-hmm. able to track it to within an inch of his life. So it's, it's a really good kind of um, time capsule of the film, even though it's yeah, even I though mean, it's not that long ago. I, I love that scene where um, he makes a phone call to the U.S. Marshals and with 1993 technology, they listen back to it and go, hey, I hear something in the background. And it's mum- muffled and mumbled. Can you just, can you drop out the sound yeah. of the, uh, the bell? Can you drop it? No, I can't. I I've literally, <laughs> I don't have the technology to do that, but I guess I do now. Here, I'll just press this button and now we can hear him saying <laughs> with perfect clarity that he's still in Chicago. Yeah. It's, that, it's that classic enhance. Oh, <laughs> yeah. enhance. Yeah. No Way enhance. Out does that. I don't know if you've ever seen the um, the Kevin Costner Gene Hackman thriller, No Way Out. Mm. Uh, and that that has a big, big plot point yeah. that revolves around a computer enhancing something. It's that I'm the pretty whole sure. film, isn't it? It's, it's doing an enhance, isn't it, during the film? You're yeah. waiting for the image to appear. Yeah. yeah. And that's what um, the first Taken does as well. It's like there's a reflection off a telephone. like. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> and you're like, is, is that... Is that technology that exists? <laughs> awful, awful, awful stuff. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I just wanted to say as well that uh, uh, you, you guys brought up Neil Flynn, and quite rightly so. And uh, it's interesting, Jane Lynch is in this film as well. Neil Flynn's mm. in this movie. Um, the guy who plays Kimball's ineffectual lawyer, Walter, is Dick Cusack, who is John Cusack's dad. Right. And he, he didn't make many films. He was a big, big noise on the Chicago theatre circuit as well. And uh, Chicago's obviously a huge improv city as well. Jen mm. Lynch is a huge improv comedian. Neil Flynn is a big improv comedian as well. And so I suspect they were just casting locally as well. Yeah. Like one of the cops, one of the white-haired cop, the incompetent cops who put Kimball away, the white-haired cop is a clearly a Chicago-based actor. He pops up in The Dark Knight. And at one point, the guy who plays the sheriff whenever... Uh, whenever Gerard appears uh, mm. after the, the train crash, is another actor that you'll have seen in things like Runaway Jury as well. So and there's justified. a really interesting cast of great character actors in this. Yeah, I was, I, I, again, I, just, I was super happy to see these guys in their, in their kind of earlier incarnations when, at the time, you know, when you often think, oh, that's the, probably the first time I saw them, because just like Tommy Lee Jones, but yeah, Joey Pants is one of, one of those people whose voices kind of penetrates and when I saw him in the Matrix, I was like, I'm sure I've, I'm sure I've seen him before, but I can't remember where. And this probably was it, where he is in like 100% of the film, but doesn't get the recognition for it. Yeah. Um, what did you guys make of the, the jump off the, um, off the dam, looking at, looking at things that have dated? Because for me, that was almost like the two Ronnies kind of level of stunt, stunt trickery there with the, with the sack of potatoes being thrown off the cliff. Chris is appalled by this suggestion. <laughs> That's his appalled face. They killed four stuntmen to get that shot. How dare you? He does go off head first and then you cut to him falling feet first. That bugged the shit out of me. But other than that, I thought it was great. Yeah, which is considering that this film had, what, six editors, you would have thought that they'd been able to kind of make it look a bit more convincing in the in the edit on that one. It's no Schwarzenegger in Predator jumping off the waterfall. I'm just saying that. <laughs> Maybe it just was the best shot. They're just like, well... This this is the best we can do. Um, I, we don't we don't have CGI, uh, so this is the best. Yeah, we, we can deal with. I, I'm 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 okay with it. I'm happy with it. It's totally fine. Uh, as he goes <laughs> down, as he as he jumps off, he's he's Doctor Richard Legs Akimbo. Yeah. Um, as he leaps off the dam, he's Doctor Richard Nimble. So I'm I'm very very happy with that. It's <laughs> it's all good. Um, I couldn't remember the plot point. One thing I was really excited because I literally haven't seen this film twenty odd years, and I was enthralled by how 
the the twists and turns go through goes through different machinations of you think it's the the one-armed guy that he's going after which he is but it's the you know his his best friend which is a nice little twist there you must be the only person alive who didn't see that coming. <laughs> the scheming, hello, Richard, you have come. Can I help you? The way he's like, he does that it's staunch defensive. Accent. He is, yes, he's a bit foreign, ultimately, yeah. from that era. That's a dead <laughs> giveaway, isn't it? It's uh, Jerome Crabbe, isn't it, who plays him, uh, who has famously played Nazis, I think, in a number of films. But um, yes, I, yeah, it, I mean, it, you could see that coming a mile away. Yeah, yeah, I... I... I have to say it's it's interesting as well. Right at the very very beginning, rewatched it last night when he's at the before his wife gets killed. He's at that reception for huh. uh, what turns out to be the evil organization that wants to have him bumped off, mm-hmm. and uh, he meets this guy and it's literally just oh hey how are you and the guy gets a close up. He gets a close up <laughs> and you go remember okay. that face. Yes, he is going to be pivotal in this later on, and lo and behold, it's Lentz. Yeah. He gets bumped off halfway off screen, but he's very, very uh, crucial to the plot. So Check off Remember Bellend. that face. Check off Bellend. Check off Bellend. <laughs> <laughs> he certainly is. One thing I did want to um, give credit to is um, the score is fantastic. I think yeah. it really helps with the kind of pacing of the film because it is it is quite a long film. It's over two hours, and I, I really think that the score helps keep it moving and sort of the main sort of theme is whenever I think of this film, it sort of, I have that in my head instantly. Do we know who did the score for this? Yeah, it's James Newton Howard. Okay. Did the score. Uh, I, I, sometimes I wonder, uh, listening back to it last night, I, I hear elements of it in Thomas Newman's Shawshank Redemption score, or maybe that's just me going completely crazy. And I wonder if maybe they had used that as a temp track on Shawshank. Uh, I might be completely and utterly off base with this one, but it's it, or maybe it's just one of those scores that is so often reused. You hear it all over the place. Maybe that it 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 felt more familiar watching it again than uh, than I thought it had previously been. But yeah, it's it's a really really great score. Uh, guys, do you want to talk about anything else before we head to the scores? Oh man, God Almighty! There's so much. There's so much to talk about. There's so Go much on. to talk about with this Go movie. This. Uh, it's interesting you said you didn't know the Tommy Lee Jones before going into this because uh, he had starred previously for Andrew Davis in Under Siege, of course, right, as yeah, the I bad guy. In fact, they, they worked together a couple of times. And so the main thing I remember Under Siege for was the, was the cake scene. Oh, um, well, that's because we're all men of a certain age, Kobe, and very uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But let's not dwell on such things. Uh, these days, we are professional people, and uh, let's move beyond that. Uh, no, I, re- I remember Tommy Lee Jones being in that movie, and I remember Tommy Lee Jones being in a whole bunch of stuff around that time. He'd been Oscar nominated previously for uh, JFK just a couple of years earlier. Mm. The interesting thing about this movie, of course, is that he won the Oscar. He won mm. Best Supporting Actor for this movie. He beat Ray Fiennes for Schindler's List. <laughs> now... I love this movie with all my heart. And I think he is tremendous. He takes a role that on the page was nothing. That's why he was hired, because Andrew Davis knew he would be able to improvise the shit out of it. But he took that role, that could have been a, just a, a meaningless nothing of a role, and turned it into something that was full of life and vitality and mm. character. Mm. But it's fucking Ray Fiennes and shit in this list. <laughs> it's what Garza. are you doing? Anyway, well deserved. You're quite, you're right, quite right. I'd completely forgotten. Yes, JFK and Under Siege, which was the year before. So I actually would have known who Tommy, Tommy Lee Jones was actually going into this. Um, but yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. The one thing that stuck out for me that, that 
is in my head even now is there's a bit where they are briefing the cops and there is a uh, there's a, a notice board next to the guy who's briefing them and there's a picture of uh, of Kimball and it has a sketch artist's impression <laughs> yes, of Harrison that. Ford on it. The <laughs> fuck me, it looks nothing like any human being, let alone Harrison Ford. It is the world's worst sketch artist. I don't know how they found anyone. I really don't. But I thought they they knew what he looked like. So why they, 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 drew, they drew That's one the of him point. without the beard though. So they drew <laughs> one of him with the beard, and then they drew one without the beard in case they needed to. Kind of but it's just like a line drawing. Is. It looks like bod. I, like, I don't really understand <laughs> what the use is, but here is a man with a beard. Here is a man without a beard. Because what you do is like trace trace the top half of his face and then like <laughs> remove the beard. So it would at least look half or 50 times better. Oh, God. So bad. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. Guys. I, I love the fact that it's a big, it's a great Chicago movie. It's, you know, very mm. much infested in the uh, in the character of the city and uh, you know it goes out to parts of chicago that you may not know but also you know it, a lot of it takes place at cook county hospital which is a real hospital there's a lot of it that takes place in real locations you know the uh, the st patrick's day parade sequence is one of the great sequences in movies that actually roots something in a familiar a date um, yeah do they actually do they turn the river green they on do. st patrick's day they okay do. Uh, but it's great. I love the fact that, I, as, we, as I alluded to before, that the big stunts are out of the way early on. In yeah. fact, the end of the movie, when uh, Mr. European Batty um, reveals himself and they have a big tussle on the roof and they go crashing through the roof and it, it all becomes a little bit Hollywood yeah. stock and slash, it feels like reshoots to me. It, it, it feels really out of character with the rest of the movie. Um, and what the rest of the movie is, is leading towards. Like, the biggest set piece beyond that is... A man in his forties chasing down a man in his fifties. Because he did everything in his in his power to avoid conf- confrontation. But, it, up until that point at the end, yeah. the choreography is so fucking bad when they have that fight. Like Harrison Ford, the way he throws a punch at it, you're like, oh my god, can someone get Chad Stahelski in here or just do something with this? Because like, <laughs> like, it's like it's almost like a playground thump. Like it's really bizarre. Nobody in movies throws a punch like Harrison Ford, Jimbo. You take that back. <laughs> also, also, no one runs like Harrison Ford. I remember that being like a big kind of selling point of Indiana Jones and there's almost comedy in how he runs. You kind of think he runs really slowly, but also seems to get away from everything um, yeah. re- really well. So it's yeah. a weird kind of physics in his run. He's fast. He's lithe. Uh, with Is any he? luck, he's got the grill already. Uh, he's, no, he's tremendous. And interestingly, he, um, well, I say interestingly, it's up to you to decide whether it's interesting. Uh, he actually hurt his knee in this movie. Uh, like, did properly hurt his knee. Uh, you know, Daniel Craig on Bond style and it had to be shut down for, for a couple of weeks to allow him to recover. So I think that's maybe why he doesn't run as much in this film. Pop him down some stairs. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com.
Um, right, let's head to the scores, guys, I think. Welcome to the Flixwatcher scoring system. All of our scores are out of five. You may have decimal places if you wish. And we will start with you, Chris, please, with the recommendability. Recommendability. What's not to recommend about this movie? It's got everything. It's got the janitor from Scrubs. It's got Harrison Ford in a beard. It's got Harrison Ford stealing some eggs from a hospital, like a bed-bound man who may be on his last legs. Uh, and it's got some good stuff with a fugitive and a man trying to catch him. So, yes, I would say 5.0. One thing I wanted to ask is, has anyone seen the TV show? Because I, I, my, I just kind of thought it must be so pedantry, it must be so slow-paced if they managed to get this whole story across in like two hours <laughs> to have like a TV show that would seem to be never ending. Well, there's the, a procedural, the, isn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, it's just he gets in an adventure each week while being on the run. Yeah. What? It was, for, it was basically, so the Incredible Hulk TV show, it was like right. that only mm. without a big green man who would used to smash things. Um, oh, so, so like, like Quantum Leap, who's trying to get home, yeah. but also doing stuff. He's helping right. people yes. each week, yeah. While trying to chase down the one-armed man. Okay. Okay, I'm not convinced by that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're going to watch Quantum Leap, if you're going to watch related stuff, I'd probably pick that over U.S. Marshals. Okay. <laughs> uh, so five point zero for you, Chris James. Uh, I'd give it five as well, without a shadow of a doubt. Helen. Yeah, absolutely a five. Um, I love this film so much. Um, I just think it's great, and you know, you can kind of forgive um, some of the slightly weaker special effects just for you know everything else that's going on. So yeah, a five. It's for everyone. Yeah, I think I, I've been a bit tough on the special effects side of things, but I think um, I'm going to give it a five as well. Um, I think it's just such an interesting film, and there's tension in the in the in the bits where he's like pretends to be a janitor, closes the windows down so he can pretend to be um, <laughs> cleaning, the, cleaning blinds. the blinds. Yeah, whilst checking out what does you know how many one-armed men are there in, in Chicago. Um, <laughs> and I, initially, I thought, oh, 35, that's, that's a, actually a decent number to start off with. But he, he wasn't happy with that. I know, he has to whittle it down further. It's a lazy yeah. fucker. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get out the, there. Get, you've got, you've got... His, uh, when he's no. ringing up people um, to find out where they are as well, I, I always enjoy that scene. <laughs> You're like, oh, yes, this is pre internet. I'd forgotten about this. You've got to Google someone. You've got to call everyone. Yeah, it's quite funny. But when he goes, oh, yeah, really? Armed robbery, and it's a bit of a wink, wink moment, you know. <laughs> so one armed man has just committed armed robbery. Nice one. Uh, they go, yeah, goes to the prison. Oh no, you're 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 black. <laughs> okay, see you later. <laughs> 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 and the guy's like, "Please, I've not spoken to anyone for ages." Not, no, I mean, no, sorry, it's... sorry, fellow. I'm I'm massively racist. I have to leave immediately. <laughs> sorry about that. Uh, repeat viewing score, uh, Chris. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean. Come on, come on. It's a five. It's a five. It's a five. five. Uh, James? It is, sadly, also a five for this one. I've seen this many, many times, and I'm sure I'll see it many, many more times. Helen? Uh, five for me. I think it came onto Netflix sort of towards the end of last year. Um, yeah. Because I, I saw that it popped on, and I was like, oh, time to uh, sit down and enjoy this. So, um, yeah, and when you suggested it, Chris, I was uh, really looking forward to watching it again. It's a five. Um, I'm going to have to go for a slight less than you guys. I'm going to go for 4.5. I've what literally no idea why I didn't watch it. I hadn't watched it again. Um, it just probably didn't become part of the circulation of DVDs I had at the time or video VHS at the time, and I didn't download, uh, didn't record it off the TV. So mm. this literally is the second time, which is a bit of a travesty because it is, it is a great film. Uh, but I will, 
endeavor to watch it as many times as possible uh, going forward, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, it's a good film, but yeah, I just don't like Fugitives, if I'm honest with you. So uh, yeah, for that reason, I'm going to give it a one. <laughs> uh, what's your small screen score, Chris? Um, ooh, this is tricky. This is tricky. Because I don't think it's a film that lives and dies by its visuals. Mm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it has two pretty major stunt sequences. Um, and also, I don't want to just randomly, blindly give it five stars in every category. So I'm going to give it four, because it's a film about performances and character and dialogue, ultimately. And I think you can enjoy that on your watch, never mind your phone. <laughs> James. I am going to give it a three for this, for simple reason that I actually think it benefits from being seen on film and not digitally. And certainly on a 4K TV, like this has not mm. been upscaled at all. It's not been remastered. I mean, it looks properly wobbly. Uh, and uh, as, as, as Chris alluded to earlier, like the, the mechanics of how they did the crash sequence in certain angles uh, does not look great on a 4K TV. Yeah, does, so does I think, yeah, I would ideally watch this on actual film. Uh, in a cinema, I think it would look a lot better that way. Well, when, whenever cinemas happen again, um, maybe Indeed. the Prince Charles will open up, and <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we can all applaud the train crash sequence when it happens. <laughs> yeah. We can all applaud him jumping off the dam, and we can all applaud him you know, making a phone call, and just anything he does, we'll applaud. That's the kind of thing that you would get the Prince Charles that people would stand up and cheer that. Um, yeah, but those kind of things happening. What, where, where in Canada was it? Because I always had Canada as a mild mannered um, nation. Couldn't believe it. Couldn't believe it. I'd seen a whole bunch of films because I was there for five weeks that summer and uh, I saw a whole bunch of films, including Another Stakeout and Robin Hood, Men in Tights. <laughs> Another uh, Stakeout. <laughs> none of them garnered the same reaction. None is of them. Is that because they're poor films? That's not for me to say, Copy, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Helen, sorry, your small screen score. Yeah, so I've, I've never seen this on the big screen. I've only ever seen it on various different sized TVs. Um, and yeah, I don't know, because I'm so used to it, I've got nothing else to compare it to so i i think it's it's perfectly fine for me so i'm going to go for a five okay um yeah when i remember seeing this at the cinema again this is a weird thing i was kind of that scene where he he cuts his beard off i was weirdly (laughs) fixated about that i was like oh you have to use scissors first before you can shave interesting um (laughs) so the, the stunt scenes don't really matter that much um and even though it was kind of gutted i was like oh the, the, given away the, the key bits as a 13 year old mm. it is about explosions and guns and stuff um, but they, they're really not the, the thrust of this film and I don't think they stand up now so I think seeing on a TV side screen is absolutely perfect for this I might try listen for the score again but I don't I don't think there's there's much to be taken away from seeing it on you know mm. on a big screen so I will join Helen on the five here um, which is, it's looking very high this is typically where a big a big film falls apart is the small screen score. So I I have quite high hopes for this one. Um, let's see. Engagement score. Chris. Uh remind me again of the engagement score is I don't have the email. So this is a, this is like once you've got it once you press play, how engaged are you? Are you are you going on Twitter? Are you IMD being? Are you stopping and making those oh, right, okay. or are you just yeah. like yeah? Um okay, so uh, I'm going to have to give this a five, guys. This, this is this is a film that once you're in, you're in for the, the duration. I, you know, I am an inveterate tweeter, and yet yesterday I absolutely did not tweet at all whilst watching this movie again. And I, I kind of wanted to because um, a really great film writer, Priscilla Page, who writes for Empire amongst other outlets, um, 
tweeted about this movie recently and wrote a lovely article about it on her her Patreon as well. And she's mm. just really, really great and really nails a, a lot of great stuff about the movie. And that had put me in mind of it again. I'd already recommended it for this. I'd already chosen it. And But there's just something in the air. There's something in the ether about The Fugitive at the moment. And she pointed out the beard. The beard is really interesting. The idea that, you know, that the world's biggest movie star starts a film not looking like the world's biggest movie star. So he does kind of rock the beard, it has to be said. Um, mm. But the, the masterstroke is that at some point during the movie, he has to shave it off and then become, ta-da, Harrison Ford. And uh, I know that some people were sharing stuff on Twitter the other day of the scene where he has to kind of bandages himself up in the in the in the hospital and uh and he he was 50 maybe 51 when he made this movie and he he's in good shape let's just put yeah, it that way he's true. in good shape um james oh what would i give it from gadget i think he's right i think i think this is like i'm have a tendency to do other things often when i'm watching things on my phone i did not pick up my phone once while watching this uh i enjoyed every minute of it so i'd probably give this a five as well helen it's yeah it's another vibe this is just one film that um even though i've seen it so many times that i am quite happy to give what is it two hours ten of of my full attention i i just Mm. love it um and i even thought you know what i will wait until after it's finished to do my usual poking around on the internet for fun facts and stuff (laughs) what what kind of poking around were you were you looking forward to doing on this rewatch um, but because I'd seen some of the tweets about the the script, so that it was interesting mm. you saying about Julianne Moore because apparently she was a possible love interest, and I think they ah. maybe even got to the point where they shot some scenes with her where he kind of goes back to the hospital and their relationship becomes something a little bit more, which is why she ended up higher billing and the, at the top on that. So there's there's loads of things like that, and I was really mm. intrigued about the kind of improvisation stuff that went on that kind of makes sense and it's one of the things that guts me most about um like ghostbusters is that ernie hudson signed on and he had like a one of the best kind of storylines all the way through and then when he turned up like day one of shooting he's like oh i've come in like yeah. more over halfway through the film and i'm not a, i'm not a fighter pilot anymore and so but then obviously you your uh, agent has nego- done all the negotiation for you so he's probably still got the same amount of money but it didn't get the same kind of um <laughs> featuring so that's probably what's happened yeah. with Juliet Moore I can see him see yeah. her have being his, his love interest even though there must have been a, a fair bit of age difference between them it's yeah. interesting I actually had I had heard that before I had read that somewhere before that you know she had a bigger role at one point as well so that's that's yeah thank you for, for jogging my memory there because it is interesting you get you get a sense like I say the end of the movie feels a bit like studio mandated reshoots so if we could put some action in here there's a mm. moment where where kimball is breaking into the one-armed man's house and there's a really weird sequence before that where he steps out of a a cafe and he looks across the road and he he and we the audience see what appears to be gerard's men and the shit cop rossetti um kind of staking out the place so he kind of, he skirts around them, gives them the old swerve, breaks into the one-art man's uh, uh, house, then calls up Gerard on the phone. And suddenly all those guys are back at the HQ. Yeah. And so it feels like maybe there was a little bit of surgery done in and around the edges of the film, which you know doesn't seem to have affected the movie in terms of its ability to... You know, to please crowds or to tell a coherent story. But it, I do wonder sometimes what this movie might have been 
And it's it's interesting. Just one last thing. I'll, I'll make one last point. You know, it was directed by Andrew Davis, who, for my money, is the absolute epitome of a Hollywood journeyman. You know, there's nothing in his career that even remotely comes close to this movie before or since. So before this, he directed things like The Package with Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. He directed Under Siege, which is a passable Steven Seagal action movie. <laughs> then after it, he directed Chain Reaction, the dreadful yeah. Keanu Reeves thriller. Collateral Damage, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's worst movies. And he hasn't made a movie since 2006, which was The Guardian, mm. that Kevin Costner, Ashton Kutcher uh, movie. And Sounds great. It, you know, so something happened in this movie, something that was like a perfect marriage of, I don't know, maybe because it was a hometown, maybe it was just, you know, it was a fairly unambitious script and maybe it needed a director who could just play it straight and straight down the middle. But for some reason it worked and he, he struck lightning with this, but he, nothing before or after comes even close to it. Maybe the six editors managed to eke out the best performance out of everyone and <laughs> and and the yeah. actors just kind of said, Let we're just gonna take we'll take over. The improvisation just shone through. They just went, No, let's not bother with the script, we'll just improvise most of it. It'll be fine. <laughs> so I, I audibly I, mean, I was watching this by myself, um and when he said I d I didn't kill my wife and Tommy Jones says, I don't care, I just guffawed. I just thought that's <laughs> such that's such a that's that's the perfect line. He's he's doing his job and he's doing it well. And ultimately, he's like, you know, I'm just here to chase you because you're an escaped convict, mate. So, you know, mm. I'm going to try and catch him. going to do that to the, the best of my abilities. Mm. Um, and that tenacity of, like, everyone, everyone just wrote him off. No, he's jumped off, the, he's just, he's jumped off the dam. He's dead. Don't worry about him. So, no, let's just, let's just wait and see properly because he's already escaped death with a train. Let's just see if this guy does surface again. Of course he does do. And... It's. I think it's really cool. Um, Although, to your point, just then, well, after he jumped off the off the uh, off the dam, if he hadn't called his lawyer, he probably could have got away with everything, and they never would have seen him again because they just assumed he was there. <laughs> Idiot. True. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do question that point about. What, I don't know what, was, what he wanted his lawyer to do exactly. I'm not. I'm not in the legal profession in any way, shape, or form. I don't know what. Yeah. He wanted there's, him to wire him some money, didn't he? Which is, I don't think it's well thought out. Yeah. Uh, there's also there's also a certain. You know, you could ask questions about where he gets the money to pay for Lee, uh, the flat that he moves into. We never see the we never see him returning to that after Gerard and his men, you know, arrest that skeevy fella, and <laughs> uh, and presumably, you know, move into the place. Yeah. And we don't really see where he gets all the clothes from either. So there's there's various questions all that you could dye. ask about this movie, <laughs> or the hair dye. She suddenly washes out at one point as well. Yeah. Hey, but, hence um, reshoot reshoot yeah. theorem. But if you were to ask uh, such questions, then the film would begin to unravel, and we do not want to do that. Uh, so that means, yeah, I'm going to go for a five as well for engagement score. Um, maybe because I simply hadn't seen it and I couldn't remember the, the storyline, but I think I'll be tied in there from the start. And then just to reiterate the fact that those two key stunts happened so weird on the film, but you're still tied into it. It's like, it's testament to how good it really is, even if those are slightly ropey. Um, and that gives us an overall score of 4.78125. And guys, if you're listening, if you go That's to... High. Oh, my God. Right, so if you go to our website, uh, flipswatch.tv forward slash scoreboard, you can see all of the films that we have here and arrange them by overall score. And this actually, guys, is joint number one with Whoa. When Harry Met Sally. That is astonishing. Big news for the scoreboard. When, yeah. When Samuel chased Richard, I'm I'm all for that. 
Yeah, so, so number one, joint number one, when Harry Sally and The Fugitive, as you hear this. Uh, number two, To All The Boys I Loved Before, um, which is a good film. I don't know how it got so high, maybe because the small screen score uh, is, is, isn't that much of a thing. Um, then What We Do In The Shadows, and then Silence of the Lambs. So it's in, it's in great company there. <laughs> Better than all of them put together, if you ask me. Is that um, right? But I may be biased. Um, but the the last thing I'm going to say about this movie, going back to the, the uh, Neil Flynn thing on Scrubs, which is very, very funny <laughs> if you check it out. So all the way through Scrubs, that character is called the janitor. And he, he uh, we don't know his name. Mm. Uh, and he's only known as the janitor. And in the very last episode, he told JD his name. But I think he's lying. Because if the janitor from Scrubs actually was in The Fugitive then the janitor from Scrubs' his real name is Neil Flynn. Yeah. That's true. That's true. Which is a um, mind fuck. <laughs> I mean, I'm more right, surprised let's... you got to the end of Scrubs scene as the quality was dipping very much near the end. So well done for sticking with that. Oh, the Scrubs, the Scrubs season eight finale I, I destroyed me. Absolutely destroyed me. I don't think, yeah, I don't think I've seen the end of it. I loved the, the first few seasons so much, but it just kept in... Anyway, that's that's time for that's for another, another maybe, conversation. Maybe a pilot TV. Maybe huh. maybe it's a banshee um, for the pilot TV podcast, James. I don't know. Maybe is it a comedy that you like? Uh, I do like Scrubs, Scrubs actually. Yes, I enjoyed it a lot. Okay. Mm. Oh shit! One of the rare comedies uh-huh. that I've enjoyed. <laughs> All right. So we let's head to Twitter because we had a fair bit of banter on there as we discussed a bit. And do listen to us, guys. Uh, follow us on Twitter at FlipsWatcherPod, and we always tweet out before we're going to record. And in this case. Uh, we wrote, we're reviewing Fugitive with James C. Dyer and at Chris Hewitt from at uh, Empire Magazine. Have you seen it? Give us your thoughts on it on air shout out. Um, and Helen and Chris, because James can't work Twitter. <laughs> do you want to read out some of the, some of the, of the comments that people have left us? Chris, do you want to go first? Uh, here's one from at Listening to Film. Five stars. Infinitely rewatchable. Ford and Jones are superb. And it's the little touches like the banter between the marshals that make a good film great. Uh, Fascular surgeon, what the hell is that? Someone who makes more money than you. Shit, I just bought these shoes. And hinky, to name but three. So yes, listening to film, well done. And this is the thread. Um, if you follow, if you go to this uh, tweet and follow the thread with um, Sean, just Sean following, they're talking about the script and how how awful it was um, in the earlier iterations. Uh, Helen. The next review we've got is from Gareth J. Lewis. Classic film, still watchable today. Amazing performance by Ford and some of the best dialogue in an action film. Yeah, it doesn't give a score, score, though. No, I imagine it's quite high. Let's just assume that. I'd like to say that uh, at Lee Thomas 5 mentioned something. He says, great movie, everyone on top of their game. He gives it four stars. He says, fun fact, I learned recently the directed by Andrew Davis credit appears 15 minutes into the film. There you go. (laughs) And then, yeah, continues on with one of cinema's all-time great lines, outhouse, henhouse, doghouse. (laughs) Yeah, that's where um, Tommy Lee Jones just appears and takes hold of the whole situation. You're just like... Yeah, he's the guy to he's the guy to run this, not you, sheriff. Yeah, um, yeah, because he turns up with the with the leg irons, and the sheriff just kind of wilts, doesn't he? Um, so I I don't know what I'm doing here. I've no I've got no formal training. I don't know how to. He to, might uh, be alive. He might be alive. Yes, exactly. Ooh. Actually, I wanted to point out as well that 
the uh, the cowardly prison guard who um, is on the, the, the bus with Kimball mm-hmm. and the other guys and who leaves him to his fate and then tries to take the credit for it later on is played by Richard Reilly, who is an actor who holds the record for playing Santa Claus uh, on the big screen. He's, oh, really? Yeah, and, and small screen, in fairness. He's played Santa Claus at least a dozen times in various projects, including Harold and Kumar's Fairy 3D Christmas. I thought he was very familiar. I thought At first, I thought he was Brian Doyle Murray. Yeah, um, but then I was like, no, it's, it's just not him. But uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't replace him. But that, yeah. Did you really just say, "Oh, really"? Was that intentional, or was that? Uh... That was. Uh, I, no, uh, take I'm the not credit. That, I'm not that intelligent. Take the credit. <laughs> yeah, I meant to. Do it. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I intended. Yeah. Um, who wants to take the next? There's a couple more left. Chris, uh, I can only see one more, which is uh, from at. Uh, Fibhav underscore mu Fibhav Gupta on Twitter. Great movie, very rewatchable. No wonder so many movies and episodes of TV shows have basically utilised the same plot. Yeah, they they just rip off the plot for uh, U.S. Marshals. It's so bizarre. Uh, both Ford and Jones are great in their roles. Five star movie for me. And I see one from Glenn Runnels. Yep. So the last one we've got is from Glenn at Glenn Runnels. Yes, I have seen it. It's four out of five for me. (laughs) Just confirming that he had before giving his review. Tommy and Ford are amazing. The story engaging and the script had a monologue for Lee Jones that guaranteed him an Oscar if he committed to it. Come on, you know which one I'm speaking of. If not, off to the outhouse with you. So they reckon that was his Oscar winning bit, was it? I guess so. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because there's not a great Oscar clip, is there? There's not like he doesn't he doesn't cry. He doesn't. There's no histrionics from him. So what was it about this movie? This is you know the, the supporting house actor was category the Oscar is, clip reel, wasn't it? I mean, if that's your Oscar yeah. clip reel, then I don't know what you know what to say about that. Really, it's it's you know, but it's it's a category where you can get away with being a character in yeah. a way, and uh, so maybe that's why they went for it. Cool. Uh, Mark, guys, can you sign off by telling us where we can find you online? Tell us, remind us of the podcast you do. And um, hopefully by the time this comes out, there might be a live show in the offing um, for either pilots or <laughs> If we're ever allowed to leave the house again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think our, I think our next live show will have to be at Wembley Stadium. Um, not because we'll have loads and loads of people there, but because everyone's going to stand six feet apart. So <laughs> that's the only way we could probably do that. Um, yeah, you can find uh, me on Twitter as at Chris Hewitt. You can find me on Instagram as at CTAH1976 because someone else took at Chris Hewitt, you motherfuckers. And uh, you can find me every week on the Empire Podcast. Every Friday for regular episodes, we also have spoiler specials, uh, which are behind a paywall. Well, and you do, have to subscribe do tell us about those spoiler specials, because they have been uh, a, a fantastic feature since the early days. And I was, I've been listening to some of the early ones. I haven't talked about like the end of, which I don't think, this is more public TV uh, spoiler special, but the end of um, Breaking Bad yes. as final episodes. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really do love the spoiler specials. I think that's a fantastic feature. And I think the... Um, when he speaks to the producers and directors, they must really enjoy venting um, or releasing that kind of pressure gauge and be able to talk about absolutely anything in the film. They really do. They really do. Um, uh, It was dubbed by Ryan Reynolds, uh, spoiler therapy. And so what you have is a situation where these directors and producers and writers um, 
have been holed up in a room for two years and they've been told that they can say nothing about their movies. Mm. And then I walk in, I go, you can say anything you want. And for the most part, they just go, ah. And some of them are a little bit reticent at first, and then by the end of it, you can't shut them up, uh, which is which is tremendous. And then, of course, there's the, the famous slash infamous Chris McQuarrie episodes, which are um, longer than the films we're talking about and longer than time itself. How much time have you um, set aside for the next um, Chris McQuarrie interviews? Because well, assuming that they ever finish that movie. <laughs> um, so, so if people don't know, we did a spoiler special with Chris McQuarrie for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which was three hours long. And then uh, we found that we had to beat it for Mission Impossible Fallout. So we did by doubling it. Uh, we did two three hour interviews for Mission Impossible Fallout. And so we have been talking about doubling that again for Mission Impossible 7. Um, 12 hours. We shall, we shall see. We shall see. I know maths. Um, James. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at James C. Dyer. And uh, you can find me every week, every Friday on the Empire Podcast and every Monday on the Pilot TV Podcast. Fantastic. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Cheers. Thank you so much, Lee. And can I just say one last thing? You can do. Which is, if Neil Flynn, the janitor, is in this movie, does that mean he calls Dr. Richard Kimball Dr. Beard Fassé? <laughs> I don't think because the beard face, beard per se in, in Scrubs is it's got a particularly fantastic beard, hasn't he? He really um, does. It's very silvery. So, yeah, it is a great beard. It's beard per se. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need to find Scrubs now. I need to find Scrubs. That's what's going to happen now. I've got a lot of time. It's COVID lockdown. I'm going to find Scrubs. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Cheers. Thanks. enjoyed this episode of flix watcher podcast why not leave us a five-star review on itunes you can also follow us at flix on twitter and we're at flix on instagram thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty mighty tunes and ben from rockwood audio for his awesome editing skills if you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this get in touch with ben and that's rockwood r-o-k-k wood audio tell them flicks what you sent you you just heard a stripped media production